What do you consider to be the most familiar passage of Scripture in the Bible? Well, of course, most of us would immediately think of John 3.16, but right up there, without a doubt, would be what many people affectionately call the love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Welcome to Through the Bible. Today, Dr. J. Vernon McGee tells us there's much more to this familiar passage than most of us know. So go ahead, hop aboard the Bible bus, and let's continue our journey through God's Word together. I'm Steve Schwetz, and while you get your copy of God's Word open, I want to share a couple of letters that we've recently received. First, we got a note. This one's from a listener of our Aromo programs in Africa. There are some false teachers in my area who lead innocent people the wrong way. Please pray for them. Pray they will only accept the truth and continue on the righteousness path. And next, we've got a text message from a listener of our African Portuguese programs. I lost my job. I have a wife and kids and face a future with so many challenges. These radio programs have given me a lot of encouragement. I now expect a better future from God. And then a woman, this one listens to our Kenya Rwanda program in Rwanda, sent in this. I am 54 years old and my husband and I couldn't agree on religion, so it was difficult to raise our children. We had different doctrines. As a result, our children grew up without considering any religion and some of them do not believe in anything. In 2014, my husband and I heard your program and got saved and baptized. A few months after, my daughter also received Jesus Christ as her Savior. I thank God because now we, together with our daughter, attend the same church. I would like to thank you for teaching us the Word of God. Please pray for our other children. We pray in time they too will come to realize the great love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then our last letters from a listener of our Fongbi broadcast in Benin, Africa. I had a lot of anger in my life for those who have hurt me. But then I started listening to your programs and I began to forgive those who have offended me. Through your programs, I have learned that love is more important than every other thing in the Christian life. I want to give that love to everyone I meet. Please pray that I may accomplish that. Well, I think that's a great transition for our study today into 1 Corinthians 13. But first, I'd like to invite you to join our world prayer team this week as we pray for listeners like these every day. Together, we'll ask God to meet their physical and spiritual needs as they come to a deeper faith in Him through the study of His Word. If you want to sign up, just visit ttb.org forward slash pray. And let's do that now. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to see the beauty, the majesty, and the greatness of your love? Through it, Lord, may we learn to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's dive into 1 Corinthians 12 with Dr. J. Vernon McGee on Through the Bible. Now we come to this very marvelous 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it is in this section of the endowment of gifts. And actually, the thing that called it forth was that Paul had said in the last verse of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, we ought to covet the best gifts. I think that we have a right to do that. And I do want to say it again, because I had to say it in such a limited time last time. I had heard Dr. Ironside, and I had graduated from a college where the emphasis was put on the intellectual and the philosophical, and I was trying to be that kind of a preacher. And I wanted to, you know, to preach way up high. And then I heard Dr. Ironside make this statement, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so the kiddies can get them. And then the Lord had said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, feed my giraffes. 
So I asked the Lord, I said, let me teach like he teaches. And then when Dr. Ironside passed on, I had substituted for him at the Dallas Seminary. And then when he passed on, Dr. Chafer called me and said, would you take his lectures here at the seminary? And I almost rudely just hung up the phone. I couldn't answer very clearly. I just dropped on my knees, and I must confess, I wept. I thank God. I said, Lord, I prayed that you'd let me teach like he teaches, and at least my teacher thinks maybe I do, and I thank you for that. And may I say to you, I think you have a right to ask God for the best gifts, and I don't know about you, and I want to say this kindly. There's several people who written, says, we certainly hope you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, for your information, I have received it, not as an experience or something I got after a say, but the Holy Spirit put me in the body of believers, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they said, we hope you'll speak in tongues, and I just hope I can speak in the English language a little better. That's the thing I'm interested in. And for that reason, may I say to you that the gift that God gives is for the profit, the wealth of the church, to be helpful. Now, he says, though, regardless of the gift, there's a way that the gift should be exercised, and that's important. That's all important. Henry Drummond, years ago, wrote a very brilliant essay entitled, The Greatest Thing in All the World. It was a book put in my hands very early after I became a Christian. And that little book is a great little book. It's on the 13th of 1 Corinthians. Now, many attempted to give an exposition of what is properly labeled here, the love chapter of the Bible. And may I say that I do not think that I've preached on it only once or twice in my ministry. I teach it when I come to it like this, but very candidly, some passages just pass beyond my comprehension and capability. This is one of them. John 3.16 is another. Now, the word here should be love, not charity. Wycliffe and the Vulgate made it charity, and that's been followed ever since. But the proper word is love. It's agapo. And you do not have actually a definition of love here. And if you try to define it, you come to a very serious violation of this chapter. A definition, I think, sometimes is destruction. You try to define a rose, by the way, and try to read the description of a rose that botany gives you. Well, I want to say to you that they don't tell me what a rose is like I know a rose to be. Have you ever had anyone to tell you about the glory of a sunset? May I say to you, one evening down in the Virgin Islands, I was on the deck of a little boat, the shellback. And I saw the moon come up. Oh, I want to tell you, I can't describe it to you. I wish I could. Oh, it just thrills you. It just makes goose pimples come up all over you. Now, you have a display of love here, not a definition. And we do have to deal with the mechanics of the chapter. We'd understand it. And I want to commit now an unpardonable sin. Here is a division, and that is devastation. But let me say that there are three words in the Greek that are translated by our one word, love. There is the word eros. That is the word of passion, a word used for lust. It's used of Aphrodite and eros, and as we know it, of Venus and Cupid. It speaks of that which has to do with sex 
Acts. In fact, that would be our word for it today. It does not occur in the New Testament at all. And then there's the word phileo. That means affection. We find it in the word Philadelphia. We find it in philanthropos, love of man, love of brother here in Philadelphia. Human love at its highest. It's a noble thing. And the word agapao, that means love at its very highest. And I think actually that in the Scripture, in the New Testament, it speaks of divine love. And love's not in the motions, but actually in the will. Love picks the object, and it's a definition of God, and it's spiritual. Now let me give an outline of this chapter. And again, this is a violation of this tremendous word, but we have to do it some way. In the first three verses, we have the preeminence of love. Verses 4 to 7, we have the prerogatives of love. In verses 8 through 13, the permanence of love. Or, we have the perpetuity of love. Or, let me give another division. You have the value of love, the virtue of love, and the victory of love. Because back in chapter 12, it was the endowment of gifts. Now we have the energy of gifts. They are to be exercised in love. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now, that angels means eloquence, I'm sure. I never heard an angel speak. I think Paul did, but I never did. But I would think it would be very eloquent. And I have not love. I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I'm nothing in the world but a noisy bell. And this is the act of the emotions, you see, of the heart here. Language without love is noise without melody, is the way Dr. Scroggie put it. Or, as McGee puts it, chatter without charity, sound without soul. You can sing like a seraph, and without love it's nothing in the world but the hiss of hell. Love is what gives meaning and depth and reality and makes it meaningful. Now notice verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy... And I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Now, this is an act of the intellect. First, verse 1, the heart. Now, here it is of the mind. This is the sad plight today of fundamentalism. We have busy bee organizations and a lack of love. How tragic it is to see that today in fundamental circles. Many of our so-called conservative churches fill with gossip, fill with bitterness and hatred. How terrible. And nothing in the world but the hiss of hell, may I say, when love doesn't enter into it. Now we see the third thing here. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Now here's an act of the volition, the will. Verse 1, the heart. Verse 2, the mind. Verse 3, the will. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're told to covet earnestly the best gifts, but they're to be exercised in love, and only the Spirit of God can do that. Here is the way that you can look at it. Right on the blackboard, a whole list of zeros. Number one of zero is eloquence. Number two, prophecy. Number three, understanding. Number four, knowledge. Number five, faith. Number six, giving. Number seven, sacrifice. That's just a bunch of zeros. Now, they are nothing. One zero and seven zeros, they're nothing. 
but you put a one up in front there to the left, and every zero amounts to something now. You see, when you put love with it, and love is an act of the will, my friend, and that's the important thing to know. Now we have, here you see the preeminence of love. Now we are given the prerogatives of love, beginning at verse 4. Love suffereth long, and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Well, love suffereth long, that is, it's patient. And love is kind. Love is impossible without kindness. Love without kindness is like springtime without flowers, fire without heat. You remember that Paul said in Ephesians, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake forgiven you. That's Ephesians 4.32. That's the positive side. And now will you notice the negative side here? And I move down to that, and he says, Love doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now look at that, envieth not. It's content with its lot. You know, life is filled today with inequalities. And love recognizes that and is satisfied with its lot in life. This man may be a rich man. I find so many Christians like this. Why did God bless that man with so much wealth and didn't give me anything? Well, love recognizes that there are these inequalities and satisfied with its lot. Envy. Well, the first murder was actually a murder caused by envy. Cain killed his brother. He was envious of it. And that, by the way, is the great sin of the ministry today. And let me come back to the other. Love recognizes that there are these inequalities, and I should have given you an example of John the Baptist. He said of the Lord Jesus, He must increase, I must decrease. And this matter of envy... Bacon says it's a vile affection, and it's most depraved of anything. You have an example of a man who loved another man, didn't envy him, and that's Jonathan, who did not envy David. And it vaunteth not itself, and Moffat translates that, makes no parade. It's not boastful or ostentatious. There is a vulgarity about boasting you know, one time there's a young Methodist preacher got up in Tennessee in a conference, and he said, I want you to know that I'm not a trained minister. I'm an ignorant minister, and I'm proud of it. And the bishop, he answered him. He said, young man, I see you've got a whole lot to be proud of. And may I say to you, it's dangerous to boast, even about ignorance. And it's not puffed up. That means it doesn't travel on air. It's not inflated. You know what it is to travel on air and have a flat tire, don't you? And there's many a flat tire among human beings that are Christians because they're puffed up. And believe me, when the air is let out, there's nothing there. And it doth not behave itself unseemly. That is, it's not peculiar. You know, said we're peculiar people, but we ought not to act peculiar. That means that we should exercise courtesy, we're not rude. We shouldn't act like strange individuals. Emily Post said that you do not exercise manners at a meal 
it'd be better if you put a knife to your throat. And I want to say to Emily Post, that's not very polite to put a knife to your throat at a meal. There's so much today that can be called unlovely religion. We have a lot of that. Ought not to have it. And it seeketh not its own. That is, it inquires into motives. Why am I doing something? Since I've been retired, I've examined my own heart as I never did before. You know, have you ever searched out your own motives? Why are you doing what you're doing? You're doing it because of love for Christ. That's the important thing. That's the secret of service. And it is not easily provoked. That is, doesn't have a bad temper. That's the vice of the virtues, is being provoked. And I'm afraid it's the vice of a great many of us today. And thinketh no evil. Now, there are some Christians that can sure ladle up the dirt. They are very suggestive in what they have to say. Now, will you notice here in verse 6, he says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Now, what brings joy to your heart, bad or good? What about it? It ought to be the good. You hear something about somebody that is your enemy, maybe, and something bad about them. Do you rejoice in it? Or does it make you sad? Beareth all things. That means it puts up an umbrella for others. And believeth all things. Now, that doesn't mean to be credulous, but it means we're not suspicious. Now, notice, hopeth all things. Oh, the optimism of love. Endureth all things. It remains strong through testing. Now we come in verse 8 and the rest of the chapter to the permanence of love, the victory of love. Now we're told here in verse 8, love never faileth. Love never fails. That's the negative side. And when you get down to verse 13, it says here, love abides. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. Greatest of these is love. Love, it abides. And here's the permanence of love. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a poem. And the title of it is, I Loved Once. And she says in that, They never loved who dreamed that they loved once. And then another line, Love looks beyond the bounds of time and space. Love takes eternity in its embrace. You see, love is deathless. It's never defeated, never disillusioned, never disappointed. You see, love that is passion, that burns like a straw stack, and it's soon consumed. That's the reason a lot of divorces take place today. It wasn't really love, the kind of love that holds two hearts together. But love is eternal. It's permanent. And God's love is a permanent sort of thing, by the way. What a wonderful thing it is. Love looks beyond the bounds of time and space. Love takes eternity in its embrace. Love is deathless, never defeated, never disillusioned, never disappointed. And Christ never ceased loving you. You can't do anything to keep him from loving you. No sinners committed an unpardonable sin. You can be in a state of unbelief, but he loves you. You can't keep him from loving. You can get in out of the rain, but you can't keep the rain from falling. And I think it's wrong to tell children, if you do that, Willie, God won't love you. I used to be in a Sunday school class of little fellas, and boy, they were a bunch of mean brats. I was the only good boy in the class. 
And that teacher would say to us, said, God won't love you if you boys keep acting that way. And I used to think, well, man, he sure couldn't love me very much. We did, in spite of the fact how wonderful it is to know that God loves us. Now, will you notice what he says here concerning it? Love never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. That is, they're going to be fulfilled. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. They're going to end. They'll stop. That's what he says. I didn't say that. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. That is, how will it vanish away? Well, science, that was science when I was in college, it's out of date today. It's a new science today. You see, knowledge today, it vanishes away. It's progressive. Now, will you notice here, where we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Paul says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. A great many people say, well, I know my loved ones in heaven. You sure will. <laughs> and you say, well, what's the scripture? Well, we know for now we see through a glass darkly. You've never seen me. Many of you haven't actually seen me. Many of you, you'll say, yes, I've seen you. No, you haven't. You saw a suit of clothes with a head and two hands sticking out of it. You didn't see me. And I've really never seen you because we just see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part, and then shall I know even as also I'm known. Someone asked Dr. G. Camel Morgan once, said, you think we'll know our loved ones in heaven? And Dr. Morgan, in his truly British manner, he answered, he said, I do not expect to be a bigger fool in heaven than I am here, and I know my loved ones here. Now, the last verse. Now abide, faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, faith, today, you see, the object of faith, all of this is going to be fulfilled, and hope will be realized and be no longer hope. It'll disappear. No need for faith. But love, that's going to abide. The greatest of these is love. And these are all great words, high words. Faith, hope, love. Now, Paul's not describing an abstract term, love. He's writing a biography of Jesus Christ. Having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them right on through to the very end eternal love. Christ will never cease loving you. You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Now, he begins in chapter 14, right? Follow after love. That's the important thing. Whatever gift you have, exercise it in love. And then he says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. That is, desire spiritualities, but rather that you may prophesy. In other words, He's saying here that get away from this business of speaking in tongues and rather that you prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, why, he speaketh not unto man but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, the word unknown in my Bible is in italics. That means it's not in the original, and it's not. It's a glossolia. For he that speaketh in a glossolia tongue, 
And that means not an unknown tongue, but a tongue that someone could understand. There were no unknown tongues on the day of Pentecost. You read that very carefully. Each man heard him speaking in his own tongue. It's very important to see that. All right, until next time, friends, may God richly bless you. For more of Dr. McGee's great teaching on this topic, join me for his Sunday sermon in 1 Corinthians 13, simply titled, Love. You can listen by app online or see if your station carries the Sunday sermon at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help. Next time, we continue our daily study through the Bible in 1 Corinthians 14. So let's read ahead through the next few chapters to prepare our hearts and minds for what we're going to learn together. If you want to read ahead and you want to pray before each of our studies, both are great ideas, by the way, give us a call at 1-800-65-BIBLE and ask to be placed on our mailing list so that you'll automatically receive our newsletter and bookmark that contains the reading schedule. Or you can download it at ttb.org forward slash schedule. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm going to be here saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?